the way your emotions shift as the story goes is how you tell what the story is about mm. as opposed to specific events And welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim Elwakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to talk about Princess Mononoke. Oh, it's better than Princess Mononoke. It's Princess Mononagnificent. I just, I want people to understand <laughs> a couple of things. I have been waiting to watch this film with Luke for maybe 15 years. We finally sat down together. We finally watched it. I turned to him and I asked him, what do you think? And that's what he said. (laughs) That's what he said. So this is the last podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the only reason I resisted watching the movie is because it took me 20 years to come up with that. I see. I see. Uh, Luke has also decided that he wants to emulate Princess Mononoke now. Um... By yeah. riding the wolf. Yeah. By riding your puppy, Diaz. Yeah. Now, yeah. my puppy is currently about a foot tall. This is what he took away from it. But <laughs> with some training <laughs> and some lightweight work, perhaps she'll be strong enough one day. That's the dream, isn't it? Um, yeah. Thank you for listening, if you still are. Um, <laughs> you can get in touch, uh, as always, through Twitter, at The Story Toolkit, uh, and the website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com. You can email us uh, with suggestions. We've actually had a slew of suggestions in well, the last... we can talk about it off-camera. Yeah, we could. Yeah. yeah well, off-camera, off-mic. Off off-mic. <laughs> Whatever. Um, have you noticed Cam and Mike are people's names? Anyway, let's get to the podcast. So, uh, Princess Mononoke is a cartoon. It's an animation from the late 90s, I believe, 97, uh, by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki is um, just a master uh, animator um, and filmmaker. Um, uh, He is how good he is. Uh, When Pixar uh, started doing very well, um, and they, I think, before Finding Nemo came out, Pixar basically made Disney buy up Studio Ghibli's distribution rights in the US so they could put out the Ghibli films for American audiences, which is why they got huge casts. This is why to do right, right, right. Because they got Billy Bob Thornton and Julian Anderson yeah. and Claire Danes in the 90s, Claire Danes, right? Yeah. So off Romeo and Juliet to do yeah. the voice acting for Prince Mononoke. So it had a crazy cast. Um, late 90s, and it has Scully and Juliet in it. You know what I mean? Um uh, 
uh, and Pixar kind of threw John Lasseter threw its way around. In fact, um, I believe. I think it's Spirited Away. The DVD has an intro by John Lasseter on the uh, on the thing before the film starts, and he goes, "You guys are lucky. You get to see Spirited Away." And John Lasseter, being the wonderful man, the head of um, of Pixar, um, this whole process has really highlighted how few um, uh, Ghibli scenes, are, uh, Ghibli movies, I've yeah, seen. Yeah. Right? Um, so if you're listening and you haven't watch any of them Studio Bass, Ghibli give us a what a, so, a three to start with oh okay so Studio Ghibli um, is not all the Studio Ghibli, Ghibli films are by Hayao Miyazaki first yeah. of all um, but Hayao Miyazaki I believe Ghibli is Ghibli is like Pixar Okay. In Japan, right? John Lasseter's involved in everything yeah, by yeah. Pixar, but he doesn't make every film, right? Yeah. Uh, Studio Ghibli is much more Miyazaki than Pixar is Lasseter, mm. but there are a couple of films. For example, one of the Ghibli films people always recommend, but it's not by Miyazaki, is Grave of the Fireflies. And the reason people recommend Grave of the Fireflies is because, essentially, it's a World War II drama about two Japanese orphans that happens to be animated. Right. It's not fantasy. It's got, there's nothing about it that needs it to be animated. It absolutely could just be done with live right. action. The, the whole thing could be if you want to take a cartoon and make it a film, that one you can just do like that without sure, any okay. without any rewrites. Um, it's not a nice film. Uh, it's it's really quite um, harrowing. Yeah, it's not nice. Um, but it seems nice because it's so beautifully animated. Um, but G- Ghibli uh, Studio Ghibli uh, is is is. is, is so, films that they've made, all their films are just these sort of delightful, um, tranquil sort of animations, all hand-drawn. Um, recently, there was Ponyo, I think, was adorable. Um, the, hard to, the thing is, the problem with Ghibli is it's really hard to even sometimes sort of give a premise of some of them. Like, what's Ponyo about? It's kind of about girl mermaid who becomes a fish um, and kind of lives in someone's fish it's bowl and it's it doesn't make it works it's like a you know what it's like a dream it makes sense when you're watching it but when you wake up you go what um Howl's Moving Castle is another one uh, Spirited that... Away was the first one I saw so Spirited Away seems it seemed to me to, to be the biggest one and the one that people would say oh you have to watch this. that was the one I think that I think it was Spirited Away was the first Ghibli film to make it big outside of Japan it was the one where that's Pixar kind of did right, their thing right, right. and that's how I think it got its legs yeah um, and so the others as a result go back but I, I but obviously Princess Mononoke is one and um, uh, and I've, I, there's my neighbour Totoro um, which is adorable. Totoro's in Toy Story 3, by the way. You can see him. He's one of the fluffy toys. There's fluffy toy of Totoro. Yeah. Uh, but I think my favourite might be Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, I I haven't seen Porco Rosso yet, but I really want to. Um, Porco Rosso is, a, is about a World War II pilot who inexplicably um, gets cursed with the head of a pig. Um, I don't understand why. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to finding out what's going on in that film. Uh, it just seems adorable. I think that's Will's favourite. Um, but Kiki's Delivery Service is just about a teenage girl 
who's a witch and she has like a delivery service with her broom. That's all it is. There's nothing happens. It's just it's the, so beautiful. Anyway, um, so Studio Ghibli, it's Hayao Miyazaki. Um, okay, it's adorable. Um, and Princess Mononoke is one of the more serious ones. Although that said, Nausicaa and Laputa also are kind of serious now that I think about it. So they're in the same vein as Mononoke. Okay. Um, Synopsisize. So Princess Mononoke, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, or those of you who have and you've forgotten, again, if you haven't seen it, it is worth seeing uh, Mononoke. Um, Princess Mononoke is about um, this uh, prince called Ashitaka. And he lives in a, in a little little village, a little reclusive village. It turns out that this village is reclusive because uh, they were supposedly hunted to extermination by the emperor. Uh, but obviously they weren't. They hung out. He's the last prince. And uh, unfortunately for him, um, a crazy, bizarre demon comes rushing in um, uh, into his, into his, into his uh, little village. And he has to kill it. And, but before he kills it, it uh, touches him and he gets sort of contaminated on his arm. And so as a result, uh, because of this contamination, um, he's, it, the contamination is basically hatred and uh, evil itself. And eventually it will corrupt his soul and kill him, but not before destroying his village. So he has to leave. And it's heartbreaking for all of them because he's their last prince. And so he leaves. Um, and the only way he can cure it is he has to find the source of what caused the the, uh, the, because it turns out it's not really a demon it's a boar god like a pig god thing and it went evil somehow and it's evil consumed it and that's how it's got this curse and so on so he has to go out and find out what could drive the god to hate human beings so much that it would become this plague of of uh, of uh, aggression and so he goes out and he finds a town run by a woman lady aboshi and this town is an industrial town where they are making guns and they're tearing down the trees and mining the mountain surrounding mountain to make guns and she is uh not doing well with the emperor the emperor is not that happy with her um but the emperor uh, in the fo- in the mountains, there's a forest, and in the forest, there's the god of the forest. And the emperor thinks if he gets the god's the forest god's head, he can live forever. And so there's bounty hunters looking for that. So there's all this going on, and she's tearing down the trees to make weapons and to do things. And the pe- the animals in the trees hate this. The wolves, the apes, the little tree spirits, everything hates this, and so they are fighting them. And it's and um, the clue he has as to what caused this boar god to go insane with rage is that what killed it was a iron ball in it, which is obviously a bullet. And um, so Ashitaka goes there and he's trying to solve the situation, trying to work out what's going on, why she's attacking the forest, why she's doing this, um, and uh, he finds a girl being raised by the wolves and the wolf god and that girl is called San or Princess Mononoke that's Princess Mononoke and of course he falls in love with her but she is feral and she hates human beings 
She hates Lady Eboshi. She keeps trying to kill Lady Eboshi. And the whole story is this three-pronged situation. Lady Eboshi is tearing down the forest and destroying all the animals, destroying all the livestock, destroying the gods, killing everything to build weapons. Um, the, uh, the bounty hunters want the head of the forest. Um, and uh, Mononoke and the wolves are trying to kill Eboshi and the bounty hunters. And Ashitaka is trapped amongst all three, trying to solve the situation, remove his curse, save Mononoke, um, basically save everyone. And that's that's the premise, and the story builds from that. Um, and um, yeah, that's great. It's just great. Do you need to go more into it for the I, rest of the story? Or I think it, it, I I think we're clear. Um, I can tell you how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bounty hunters. Um, I don't. I don't see the point. Okay. If you if you know Princess Mononoke well enough, you know how it ends. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. And if you saw it and you've forgotten, this is a reason to go watch it again. Marvin just said, oh, yeah, how did it end? So, it's, okay. it's lovely. It's lovely. It's great. Interestingly, I don't think it... Uh, I was thinking about this when we were introducing it. Normally we say, spoilers, we're going to really go in depth. But actually, I don't feel like with Mononoke, because it's so dreamlike that actually you could... <laughs> you could go into detail in the ending and it, yeah. it I, I'd probably still want to watch it and just like, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what happened? Yeah. Um, okay then, so let's get into why. Okay. We'll start to get into why we're talking about this. Yeah. Um, so, um, the first thing is, as I say, like I have waited a long time to watch this film with you and so I would like, you, you mentioned something off mic uh, and I want you to talk about that a little bit, which was the aesthetics. Because I'm, I'm interested to know about what you think about this film. What I said about the creatures? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so... The, the, uh, this, again, comes from the fact I've only seen Howl's Moving Castle, yeah. and I've seen bits of Spirited Away. But I've right. had the same feeling watching mm. any of those particularly a couple of bits of spirited away that i've i've watched i've been mm. instantly sucked in mm. um particularly by the creatures because the creatures yeah. in every from from the opening sequence that weird worm because you can't tell it's a boar at the beginning no you can't you can't like tell this. it's got eight legs or six legs or something right yeah and, and black and two red eyes it's just this massive black worms yeah right yeah um and I saw that and thought, I've never seen that before. No. But instantly, it feels real. Yeah. Um, it, it feels legitimate. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, it, and you can see how every step it takes, the plant life dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right around it, right? Yeah. You just go, what is but that? Generally, generally, every creature in, um, in one of those things that I've seen, I've very quickly yeah. either gone, ooh, I hate that. What's it going to do? Or... Yeah. Um, oh, I love it! Like the little, I can't remember what they're called. Do you remember what they're called? The little, the little white tree spirits. Tree spirits. Yeah, uh, it begins with a K, I think. I can't remember now. They're they're on screen for three seconds before you fall in love and go, <laughs> "Oh my god, I don't want them to die." Yeah, you really don't, right? Uh, isn't there? There's a bit where he pluck where where Mononoke plucks, she plucks a um a um a leaf, 
for to heal. Yeah. She plucks some some flowers to heal uh, uh, Shitaka, and a true spirit pops up where she plucked it and looks sad. And you're like, <gasps> oh, oh no! And uh, you just feel bad. And it's yeah. Just, yeah, they're great. They're, Oh, yeah, little... But the point, Great. the only point I was making really about those creatures, um, off mic and at least, was that I've just never seen them before. It, it, and it draws know. you in, right? It just cap- it you like in. you yeah. can't, you just can't look away. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I was saying this like I don't know enough about Japanese culture or mythology, but I think I, I, as I was saying, I can't tell if Miyazaki sort of originated a lot of this and people have copied him, or if he has. Um, sort of worked off things in mythology and sort of revitalized it and played it out in a certain way. Yeah, that makes it seem unique. I don't know enough, but I think part of our mutual sort of like, wow, I haven't seen anything like this before, comes from a lack of knowledge of Japan, right? <laughs> um, as as much as it is original, it is original, yeah. but at the same yeah. time, like there's a, there's a cultural gap there. It's like there's a reason why no one in uh, in like in the West, is making anything that looks like this. <laughs> it's like yeah. they, they don't have anything of that to draw from anyway. Um, yeah, and I love that that it's uh, assuming that there is more of this in Japanese culture. And by the way, if there are any people listening who are, are more knowledgeable on this subject, then please do get in touch. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, how cultures inspire certain types of storytelling like that yeah and just certain aesthetic choices right like yeah. I, I i mean you know they have the forest spirit i know that the the little tree spirits their name that is a proper i'm sure that's an actual japanese name like a japanese tree spirit thing like yeah the the look of them if the name might be something that he he didn't come up with but the look might be something specific yeah. to his things but it's like you know when we have minotaurs Right. Okay. Or krakens, or whatever, or centaurs. Oh, okay. It's yeah, like yeah. we know those things from Greek mythology. Yeah. That's why when we see them, it's like, oh, that's a nice take on that thing. But if you've never heard of one of Minotaurus, like that, would look kind of weird. Um, I often think about um, the the Mumakil, the big elephants in Lord of the Rings, the giant uh, elephants. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, I I bet you Tolkien got the idea from reading reports of what it was like for the Britons to be invaded by the Romans because they came in in elephants. Right. And they would never have ever have heard of or thought of an elephant before, those Britons. And so that's why I'm thinking, like, I wonder if Tolkien was imagining what it must look like for, to have he wanted he wanted these guys to be foreign, right? Yeah. From another place. So like, how do I do, do that? And I'm like, I bet you must have looked up that and thought, what would an elephant look like to a Briton? So he made it look like that. This enormous thing, massive tusks everywhere, just this crazy huge thing that they had never considered could even exist. And so when it shows up in the film, you go like, wow, what is that? <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, it's that kind of feeling of just like, because it, it it's something, it's outside of your cultural sphere entirely. You've, it's like, that's a whole new thing. It's a... I tell you what the other thing is actually about some of these creatures, not necessarily, but certainly a lot of them, is that you see them and the tree spirit had, could be menacing, right? Yes. Um, and I think there's a whole bunch of uh, creatures in in in... Uh, in these movies that I've seen where they 
they look like they could be menacing or should be menacing, but actually mm. they're benevolent. Mm. And I don't know if you have it the other way around at all. If there's any evil characters that uh, that look like they they should be. Do you know what I mean? Is that what in Mononoke? No, in 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 any of the Miyazaki um, oh. stuff. Oh, it's, it's, oh, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of strange things. Like the Kiki Sleeper Service is about a witch. Little girl witch. I meant those specifically straddling that, like, looks good but acts bad, or oh. acts bad but looks good, that sort of... Well, I mean, she's got a black hat and everything and a broomstick. Oh, I see, yeah. She's course. like the Halloween enough. witch, but like, <laughs> she's, she that. just goes around smiling all the time and no one has a problem with her being a witch at all. Uh, Totoro's <laughs> a really interesting one for that, actually. Yeah? Yeah, because he's kind of... They're kind of nightmarish, and yet at the same time, they're cuddly toys. It's really weird, Totoro. There's a kind of really creepy vibe to him, but at the same time, he's docile and <laughs> gentle. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's yeah. But the but, but the <laughs> the thing that I I couldn't get over is the fact that it's hand drawn, and you know we talk about like how um, television now has changed things to a, such an extent that so. Like, you you have to work different like television has changed the way we consume tv and film mm. and cinema has to keep up otherwise it's going to go and the way cinema has to keep up is it has to really focus on story and full length stories you know that kind of stuff because why is anyone going to go to the cinema uh, spend all that money when they can just sit at home and watch box set after box set, etc. And you know, we talk about how and uh, I ha- and it's interesting. I don't want to go too far off the rails. No, for another podcast, but it you have to do with cinema the only thing you can do. The thing you can't do on TV. Exactly right. And so, um, and so, I think it, the way it's changing is good. I actually kind of like the the way that we can just consume everything so easily. Yeah, because it gives the audience real choice and so on so I like that but what I find interesting when I'm re-watching Mononoke and watching any of Ghibli's films is CGI cannot compete with hand-drawn 2D animation just can't do it how beautiful it is can't, it doesn't come anywhere close really doesn't uh, you, you when you watch the best CGI and, and that's Pixar right yeah. it's beautifully expressive wonderfully rendered really draws you in doesn't have this anywhere close to the magic it's just it's not I think, the same I think magic's probably the right word because it is slightly um, if you're quite cold and objective about it then the animation in Toy Story 3 versus Monarchy is just is better it, well, Toy Story 3's animation you're, yeah, if, yeah you're, if you're cold and objective about it but there's a magic to hand draw well, that you can't replicate it's, it's right? better in the sense that the lighting is more consistent the scale like this it's more real looking yeah yeah right but the thing with 2D animation is that hand-drawn thing when it's done that well it's just it it's it's a it's a, it I mean Pixar when they came along they were really upset that they kind of broke 2D they they broke it they got really upset they tried to save it and people won't go they only go to see the CGI stuff because in the west people think cartoons are for kids and so oh. families are happy to go to watch animated things but in Japan that's not the case Japan they love the hand drawn illustration they love that 
at a cultural manga level. all uh, hand drawn yeah it's all hand drawn manga all hand drawn and they it, like Shonen Jump and things it's just hugely successful um, and anime anime uses CGI it, they'll, they'll use CGI yeah, yeah for like backgrounds for certain things um, there's certain bits in Titan that are CGI right exactly little bits here and there buildings will be mm-hmm. it um uh, there's one bit where the colossal titan is CGI, but yeah. by and large it's hand drawn, right? And it's so expensive, which is why you get a lot of shots of them like still and voiceover narration mm. and you know recycled backgrounds. But but when it's done, like I mean, when Akira came out, the film, I mean, no one really cared about the story because it was incoherent. The film because it was it, Akira fans will know this. It's incoherent because they condensed. Like I don't know, two hundred chapters of of the manga into a two hour film. It's right. It's, it's, it's incoherent, but it looks. It was. It's one of the most incredible looking things. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, the more realistic animation, two D animation tries to become, or abstract. Either way, it's always beautiful. But CGI, that's not the case. When they try and make it more um, realistic, it gets worse. Mm. And if it gets too abstract, it, it CGI, there's like, it's really hard to get that aesthetically appealing, I think, um, because it's, it's not, there's certain things it can do very well. Um, and there's certain things, but it's essentially, it's like a mimicking of, of art almost. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it's like, it's, it's not, I don't know. It's like, it's not as real <laughs> in its own way. But the, I just, I was watching, I'm just like. I, I can't believe that this form of animation is pretty much just no one's touching it in the West. I'm just like, it's it's unbelievable. Hmm. It's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's it, anyway, when it's that okay, good. Okay, well, so let's push on to characters then and start really getting into the... Yes. To the meat. Yes, so enough of the... Uh, the, the, the just... Adoration so pre- for yeah. Ghibli. This previous is... previous twenty five minutes of conversation condensed to one sentence is yeah. pretty. Is <laughs> is so pretty. Is is very pretty and we and yeah. It's Ghibli. Um anyway. Okay. So uh what's interesting I think to take away in terms of story though. Um so I came up with this brilliant thing off mic, uh the centre of bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, it's funny because uh, I didn't uh, Luke did and I, I decided to steal it Luke came up with a really nice term I liked it go on I'm really just for the listeners I'm really smart off mic <laughs> like embarrassingly so um, and I really have to try hard to dumb it down once we get recorded <laughs> uh, the I had this feeling as, well, as I was watching it um, and it turned out that um that I was correct and I mastered story. Um, <laughs> I had this feeling when I was watching it uh, that I mentioned to you, um, and you said, "Yes, this is very interesting." But the the idea that the villain in yeah. the um, what's her name, the one that Lady Eboshi, Lady Eboshi, she's not all villainous. Yeah, you don't. You don't. She's not a typical villain. You end up. You you sort of empathize a little bit with her. Yeah. Um and so you as a result you don't hate her and you you're not willing for her destruction or Yeah, you don't want her to 
kind of you don't want her to win, but you don't want her to. You don't want her to get a comeuppance. No. You don't feel that she's really committed. You don't feel she's unjust. You don't have that sense of yeah justice against her. You just have that sense of well, I would hope she would stop doing that eventually. <laughs> like, and um, but, uh, you but you called it. She's not the center of bad. Is how you. Yeah. It. Right. I. Yeah. It's the only thing. I, it's the only way I could think I of love describing that. what a, what a villain should be. I love that because. Um, it's it's a really because you know in, in 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 McKee's story he talks about the center of good, and I really like the phrase it's the villain is the center of bad, um, because villains you don't empathize with them you have met you have a different feeling for them, which is menace they they menace you and there's a thrill to it, but it's not empathy, uh, but Eboshi isn't really menacing, no. Um, she just doesn't have that sense of menace to her. She doesn't fit that center of bad. There is no real center of bad, um, which I kind of really like. That I really like that phrase, so I'm going to steal it. Um, you already did. I did. Uh, but um, yeah, she doesn't, and um, it, it's um, it's just it, it's something that Miyazaki does particularly. There isn't even in Nausicaa and Laputa. And spirited away in Hell's Moving Castle, there is never, there's never something that's so. Ju- you never, you never really want retribution for the bad things that happen in his films. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't. You don't want that. You don't want that sense of retribution, and um, it's kind of beautiful because. Particularly with Mononoke, because with Mononoke, it's extremely expressive of the whole point of the film. Um, because the film, uh, all through the film, people keep asking Ashitaka whose side he's on. And they they trust him, and then he does something, and so they think, oh, he must be on their side. They're constantly going back and forth. So the bounty hunter thinks he can trust him to do a thing. Lady Eboshi thinks, oh, he'll work with her. Mononoke thinks, oh, you'll work with me. And then he does a thing, like he stops Mononoke from killing Eboshi. So Eboshi thinks, ah, he's on my side. Mononoke thinks, ah, you're a traitor, you've betrayed me to Eboshi. And then he will help Mononoke leave the city unharmed. So Eboshi thinks he's a traitor. And Mononoke thinks she can trust him. And they just keep going back. And everyone keeps saying, yeah. whose side are you on? And Ashitaka just keeps saying the same thing, which is like, there, I'm, there is no sides. I don't think he's not on a side uh, or he's on no one's side. It's like there are no sides. There's no sides to this. This this makes no sense. Um, he's think, unclouded by hate. Eyes unclouded by hate, as he says. Do you think part of that magic um, and wondrous nature of Miyazaki films is that we, we go in having this Western expectation of hero, villain, very binary roles and actually it's just a bit more... Oh no, because they have no, that. they have hero villain bi- uh, binary roles in uh, Japanese f- stories all the time. In Japanese stories, yeah, I didn't yeah. know necessarily about Miyazaki. Oh, films. Miyazaki himself, Miyazaki doesn't, but then Mi- Miyazaki doesn't do action stories and stuff like that. Okay, um, it, they're not. They have action in them, yeah, and they're animated, they're, they're, they're kinetic, but they're not yeah. action. Okay, uh, and those roles are specific action. Like Mononoke, it isn't really an action story. Because no. it's not really exciting. It's not really about um, the things the action stories are about. Um, but it has elements of it, right? I was about to say, has elements. okay, what is it about? But we'll yeah. put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that yeah. in the next segment. So, so, but the, so the, these characters, 
everyone's constantly trying to do that and that wouldn't work the the if the characters we if the characters were so binary like that you couldn't you couldn't do any of what he's doing no. so eboshi is doing these really horrible things um she's i mean she's she's to, she's totally desecrating nature she's pillaging it she's she she is happy to kill all the animals she thinks they're stupid they're a waste of space they don't understand what they've got access to because she can make weapons out of it um and she's lovely right because she her entire city is basically run by two groups of people prostitutes and lepers right then they love her because she treats them with respect she looks after them. They're fed well. They've got proper work to do. It's hard work, but it's good work. They're safe and everything. And she does treat them properly. She she never, ever, anywhere in the thing is rude to someone. She's not insincere at all. She's completely sincere. When it comes to her people and humanity, she's absolutely wonderful human being. When it comes to nature, she is a Captain Planet villain. Right? Yeah. <laughs> She's just... She is the archetypal... Uh, just I, I will just consume nature mm. to make weapons, by the way. She's not, she's not an industrialist in the sense of I'm making progress. She's specifically building weapons to kill. You know, guns. That's all she's doing. She's just building killing machines. She's taking nature and turning it into weapons to kill other human beings. Which is... I mean, you know, so the that the the film is not hiding from the fact of like war only exists if you take this beautiful thing, and then you have to consume it to turn it into the weapons that you want to in order to fight. And <laughs> Shitak is like, and why bother fighting at all? Hmm. What's the point in any of that, right? And Mononoke, on the other hand, is. Um, and the the forest spirits are really vengeful. They are not happy. They are angry. They're kind of stupid, right? The all the pit, all the boars. Say the boars. Yeah, they're so stubborn and pig-headed, <laughs> literally, right? Um, the apes turn to cannibalism. Yeah. Right, and start eating and want to eat humans. Um, they go. I mean, essentially, they go superstitious and stuff. And you know, the, the for it's it, it's this um. It, 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 the way it's it's showing is it's like you have this ecosystem everything's like because he lives in a village Ashitaka mm-hmm. everything's fine in the village um, everything's working okay as soon as he steps out of it and gets into the rest of the world everything's out of balance everything's out of harmony no one knows what every, everyone's at everyone's throats for no reason no discernible reason everyone is blaming everyone else for starting it right mm. Everyone has this sense of I'm entitled to this, and yet, it, right? And he just and he walks into this world, and because he lives outside of it, he goes, "Not this is all insane. None of this makes sense." Uh, and he has this sense of, and because he can't go back to his village, he that's his life now. You understand? Like he never goes home. Right at the he's, end, he's cast out, isn't he? He's cast out. He can never go back. Um, so uh, he's because that mark is on him he can't go back you know so he's contaminated finished but what's he going to do while he's there well he's going to make sure that the iron town is okay that the people there are okay he's going to help Eboshi do good things with her knowledge and her 
because she's so smart, right? I mean, she she's an engineer, engineering genius, right? So he's going to help her do good things. And then when he has time, he's going to go to the forest and spend time with the love of his life, Mononoke. Right? Because she can't come into the world of humans. He can't go home. Uh, and so he has he has to just constantly go back and forth between this. And he's just given himself to... The, and it's just like, that's... that's you know? And so if, if Oboshi was really evil, Ashitaka wouldn't even be empathetic. Because you go, how can he still... How can he keep forgiving her and all this stuff? Yeah, yeah. And he do- and Miyazaki doesn't have Iboshi not do terrible things. That would be the easy way, right? Just have her not do bad things. She does terrible things. Mm. She's not a good person in in that sense. She does all these things, but you just don't. He doesn't. He doesn't just. Um, he he you know, he gives her humanity. He just. It's interesting you mentioned the animals as well because um, so you, so you have her who is this smart yeah um, she, um, I can't think of the oh, I guess benevolent again but mm. um, she has the prostitutes and the lepers run the town yeah um, but she does these horrendous things yes yeah. she's cold you have the animals mm. who are um, by their by their nature just um, uh, peaceful but yeah. have been turned to and yeah. they do. They're stubborn. Yeah. Um, they. Uh, yeah, because attack. Yeah, it would be very easy to go. Isn't nature lovely? Uh, but nature's savage. Right. Wolves are wolves, right? Yeah. The wolves in Mononoke do not pretend. They, they don't act like they're not wolves. They are wolves, right? That's, that's, that's a, the big wolf I love keeps saying like, oh, "I'm going to eat you." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat you. Um, Ashitaka has. I love it. Um, I, oh, the elk. Uh, yeah. What was yeah. the elk's name? Oh, Can't remember. oh no! Yeah, cool. Isn't no? That's what. Oh yeah, because it sounds like your cult. Yeah. Uh, or looks like your cult. The. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, digestive it yogurt. That's it. Yaku. Uh, Yaku, isn't it Yaku? Something like that. Anyway, that elk, this beautiful red elk, really distinctive, amazingly loyal elk, yeah. right? Lovely character, and it's, that's a character I love. I love it. A beautiful thing, and the wolves want to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> And they have to kind of be told, no, you can't eat his elk. It's like, okay. And then there's a bit where the elk gets injured. It's like, can we eat her now? It's like, no, <laughs> you, you can't, right? And so... But um, but you you look at uh, Mononoke as well, yeah. who is... Uh, um, uh, she's got those sides as well, right? Yeah. She, as in her dimension. Yeah, they, they, they have those dimensions. So the, the nature, the, the nature side's dimensions are wise yet savage. Yeah. Right? Um, but peaceful but ferocious, which is nature. Yeah. Okay. And then he, the human side is benevolent but cruel. Yeah. And just um, and brilliant but stupid, right? <laughs> Unfailingly stupid. And Ashitaka doesn't really have many dimensions at all. I mean, he has probably the same. Um, amount really he's he's i mean on the one hand he's this noble prince but he's an outcast mm. uh, on the other hand he is peaceful but he's a warrior right he's pure but he's corrupt mm. because he's literally corrupted remember physically you know yeah, yeah yeah right it's it, that's a dimension the fact that he's got that thing on him is is a dimension because he, he there's a scene the first time he gets into fight after he's been corrupted uh, uh he gets angry and he fires his arrow and it takes someone's hands clean off 
it's actually quite gruesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's surprisingly gruesome. Like out of nowhere, suddenly people's limbs are coming off, heads are coming off. But he you can't know? control the arm. He can't he? control it, but he knows. He uses yeah. it later, right? And he knows yeah. full well that it works that way. Um, and so he can never go home. He has that thing, um, that rage. Uh, so he's not. Uh, but he's pure. <laughs> right? He is pure at the same time. Um, and so, so all the characters, uh, you know. He, he probably has maybe a dimension more than anyone else. Something like that. Not much. I, I mean, Miyazaki would never think of it this way. No. But, um, but the, the point being is that, you know, we're talking about where your emotional interest lies. And it's with Ashitaka and these characters, it's he has some empathy for them. And so it carries off to them and... It's just that it was a beautiful dynamic how the, it's, the cast works. It's funny that you describe him as having the most dimensions because on the one hand I get when you put it like that mm. he does and so your interest is drawn yeah. there but at the same time those characters around him seemingly have more uh, starkly yeah, realised they are, are stark yeah you see yeah that's it the dimension the difference between the two poles mm. are wider yeah, than they are with Ashitaka so Ashitaka becomes more serene which is perfect uh, for the theme of the movie, right? You love the segues. Is I love it... the segue. I know we're not supposed to segue right now, but it's is it, perfect. Is it... Oh, the theme of the movie being that. Yeah, which, which we're eventually getting to. Um, but again, pin yeah. to that because I yeah. don't want to miss the insult to life. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> the insult to life. One of the I so I I think it's obvious why Miyazaki's films are always like this. Why. They, he has these characters that have dimensions. Everything's kind of uh, uh, human, uh, or rather, there's a humanity and dignity to everything. Um, and there's no real starkness. And the, the the reason for that is you can see this on on YouTube. There's a video of Hayao Miyazaki, um, and a, a, another Japanese animator brings him a video uh, of. Um, uh, animated CGI zombie dragging itself on the floor by its head as if its head were its legs and the guy the guy tells Miyazaki that the great thing about this computer program that computer animation does is that it can do things that we would never imagine that you could never do and you couldn't study in life and he goes for example I can tell the computer that the head is the leg and then it will try and walk using its head rather than its legs which is something nothing would do but you know like that and this thing is just this gruesome pulling thing like that and um, I showed this to my dad and he goes why are you making me watch this I won't trust me Um, and Miyazaki he sees this and he goes and he says the first thing goes is I have a friend he's disabled Uh, I don't see him that often but sometimes I see him for lunch and it hurts for him to raise his hand up to do a high five and I look at this creature and I think, how much pain must this thing be in? Right? And he just goes, I think it's an insult to life. And they are crestfallen. Right? Miyazaki has just told us they are crestfallen. And then Miyazaki's associate or whatever just turns to him and goes, what was the point of this thing? And um, the guys go, we wanted to make a machine that could draw like a person 
And Miyazaki's like, it's the end times. <laughs> and um, and uh, I kind of just, I agree with him because, <laughs> in fact, it's really it's a really good uh, analogy of Mononoke. It's essentially that, right? So this is an even better segue. It's even better. Because it's essentially, it is what Mononoke is, right? This guy, instead of spending the time learning to draw, built a machine to draw for him. Right? And he created... He took all that talent. You have to be really smart to do to do the coding and everything. To yeah. build it. He took all that ingenuity, all that genius, all that talent, and made this disgusting zombie thing. Right? <laughs> okay? <laughs> He's just producing an industrial way to mechanize ugliness. Yeah. And Miyazaki is just... And you're not even considering the pain. Yeah. You're not considering the the insult to life, right? Which is what Eboshi is doing. It's just a constant insult of life. Um, And so, so actually, it's a really good analogy for one. Okay. Um, But he's he's right. Um, I mean, I I mean, I ragged a bit on CGI, but I'm okay with it in that sense. But it's not a CGI problem, really. That zombie thing that insult to life like Miyazaki can't help but see life in things Mm. and animation is all about bringing things to life you animate it right it's an animate thing you animate it you have to make it live I mean one of the things that's really interesting when you stop and think about something like animation film every blade of grass that moved in Mononoke was drawn by someone and Miyazaki is the director, and Miyazaki had to say whether or not the leaves are blowing the correct way in the wind. And if you watch documentaries of how they make this film, like that's what he's focused on. Mm. Like how you know if they draw a picture, uh, they draw they draw a scene where uh, Mononoke is um, putting a hand into the mouth of an animal. Mm. They have to draw the lips. The lips have to move right. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The feet have to move right. Everything has to... Every little detail has to be done properly. And everything has to move correctly. A lot of the time people don't... They just... They know what you're going to look at and they don't bother. But it, there's all these little details that have mm. to be done. And you can't... And so his mindset is perfect because everything has to come to life. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny. You mean, Whereas this talk- guy created the zombie and didn't think anything about the zombie. Just cared about how it looked. Never as, went beyond its body. As you were talking about... The grass, like the the grass, <laughs> the individual blades of grass in this animation yeah. have literally been given life by somebody putting that right effort in. <laughs> Which makes sense why the tree spirit's sad and the one's plucked, right? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, all that stuff has to be done. And you know, this is one of the reasons why Miyazaki um, has problem getting people working for him. <laughs> because he expects people to animate blades of grass properly. Yeah. And people know no one's going to notice. Yeah. So, but hey, got to do it. Let's talk about controlling idea then quickly. Okay. So, you know, we're talking about like, you know, this zombie thing is a great analogy for the film. The film's about how no one has sides, right? Basically, the theme of the film is that there's no sides. War is absolutely insane. It's a waste. and In fact, war is an insult to life, is basically Mm -hmm. the film, right? Um, 
and it's just pointless and it's horrible and yet we can't stop doing it and uh, we have we should just you know but it's not it's not like a it's it's less about just um war and the politics of it it what it's really about is the spirit that causes it to happen and there's people who feel that they are supposed to fight like eboshi there's people who feel like they have to fight to save themselves like the animals there's people who fight because they're paid to you know it's it's not about specific politics it's about the emotional senses the emotional nature of people who fight and are in war right uh, they fight from loyalty they fight from this everyone's got emotional not really intellectual reasons for fighting right mm. and the reason is i think that's interesting is because in mckee's story he talks about controlling ideas right and controlling ideas are how and why life changes so crime pays or crime doesn't pay because blah and that basically content that's what the story is about so yeah. you know war is an insult to life crime doesn't pay because the because uh, criminals are cowardly superstitious lot right yeah. <laughs> it's the batman one i guess um but anyway right that's your criminal and he's right and it's very useful because it helps you understand what your story is about and it makes sure that your story is about what you want it to be about it's not just a random collection of scenes that don't say anything it's got purpose it controlling idea gives story purpose right it's very important he's right however it's a tool right you can't have characters and he says this himself you can't have characters going and saying you know crime doesn't pay crime pays that's how a story expresses what it is by what happens right mm. not what characters say not what critics say or, or what i say it's what happens in the story tells you what the story is about and so this is how you articulate that for your own self-knowledge so when you're writing you know what you're writing mm. right however the the thing that's interesting is if you broke mononoke down like that it's really missing what makes mononoke mononoke which is the dynamic emotional meaning right stories as mckee points out is meaning plus emotion right controlling idea is a big um, fixation on the meaning part the intellectual part and he's right <laughs> he's just right but there's that second part the emotion part that people forget right they forget to wrap the meaning in an emotion mm. so they have characters lecture and they do theses and things like that and mononoke is more it's almost just pure emotion with right the meaning in there it, the intellectual side of that it's the emotion the way your emotion shift as the story goes is how you tell what the story is about mm. as opposed to specific events which is what you know we were talking about this whole ghibli time all this magic all this I mean, we we're talking about the feelings of it and everything it's like that's why because it's really about the emotional aspects you you find that the film is instead of the film going sort of intellectually and politically thinking about war versus peace the film is constantly pushing your heart between aggression and serenity right yeah throughout the whole film there are bits in the film where you're aggressive and then there are bits in the film where you are very serene um and for example 
really obvious way of showing this. Ashitaka fights those mercenaries at the beginning, uh, fights the big monster, gets corrupted, uses that corruption, kills people in a quite gruesome way. Mm. Okay? That's an aggressive opening. Mm. Right? And you're kind of like, whoa, this is a thing. Cut to... He's in the forest, surrounded by forest trees, and there's this slow dreamlike sequence of a stag walking on top of water and breathing life to something and then walking away, and nothing happens, right? And you're just at peace, right? The film constantly shifts between those two emotional sensations, and that's how you tell what that story is about. I think so. You know, I can break it down life changes because this, this, this. Mm. And it wouldn't be wrong, but it wouldn't encapsulate the essence of actually watching this film. And the problem with a lot of people, I think, is, myself included, we forget how important that part is. You don't think of how the story is turning people's emotions. You just think, you presume your emotions are along for the ride. Yeah, I think this is a really important description, possibly your most important yet. (laughs) <laughs> no I'm kidding but, um, <laughs> I think it's really important because you know this is now episode 64 or something mm. and essentially what we are doing is you know breaking stuff down and providing tools and, it, mm. and, and on the one hand people might get the idea that it feels a bit mechanical but yeah. actually I know, I know we've said this a few times yeah. but this is really important and, and Mononoke highlights this yeah how important emotion is and yeah. how important um, as a writer yeah. you have to be aware of the emotion of your audience and you have to be able to step back and yeah. uh, and almost forget about the nuts and bolts for right. a second and just purely judge your work on how it makes you feel right uh, in fact the one it, basically what, what it is is you want to apply the principles of comedy writing because comedy is if the laugh. Uh, yeah. if the audience laughs it works Co- comedy is all about did they laugh yes or no yeah. if they didn't laugh you got it wrong right and so your co- comedy is constantly thinking about making people laugh and to make people laugh is often an idea right mm. but if you don't get the right emotional resonance uh, the re- re- sorry re- right emotional response to the idea you did it wrong when you write drama and stuff people can't gauge mm. if they got the right response so as long as the idea is intact, they think it's okay. For example, uh, the story I was working on that I got a consultation with Bob on, which led to this whole thing, right? I got I went to him because I had in my mind specific emotional beats that I wanted people to feel. Mm. And in 10 minutes, you expect them to be there, but very small. Mm. Couldn't get any of them. So that's why I'm like I can't fix this. I need to I need to know I need to know how to fix this, which is how this whole thing started. But like. If you that having that you want to have that mindset like they should be shocked by this moment. Mm. It's not enough to go. It's shocking and have characters react. Oh, I'm shocked. It actually has to shock people. And if they're not shocked, you did it wrong. Just in the same way that if you go, well, th- it's funny. They just didn't laugh. Then it wasn't funny. Why didn't they laugh? Even if they go, no, it was funny. I just didn't laugh. Well, why didn't they laugh? Yeah, it's because you didn't build it up right. It's also, Jeremy, when when you when you put it in terms of comedy, no self-respecting uh, a comedy performer would ever write a joke and keep it in if they didn't get a laugh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that's not the point. Or they'd expect they know 
what kind of laugh it gets. Right. Yeah. No, they would never go, I'm going to end my comedy routine or whatever it is, my thing. Like, this is, I mean, for comedy, for me, it's like, I expect, you know, one of the reasons I love Frasier so much, um, or the play that goes wrong, right, or Faulty Towers, is they end with the big belly laugh. All that time built up, and you get that huge belly laugh. Uh, producers did it as well. When yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the huge crying belly laugh. And that is, you know, that's like, and like ah, I gotcha, like that. Uh, True Grit with the Coen brothers, right? She falls down the hole. <gasps> the entire audience gasps. It's like, they got us. <laughs> you just got it. So like, that's what you want. Mm. Right, and a lot of time people will lie to themselves. This is remember when we were at Fods. Luke and I were in a theatre group together mm. at Fods, and you remember people wanted to do drama, and I kept saying we should do comedy. And people, oh, I want to do the serious play. And I'm like, you want to do, and I don't tell people this. You want to do a serious play, so if you act badly, you can't tell. If you are on stage and you do comedy and you're not good, you know, right. But if you do drama, this is why there are so many bad drama- amateur dramatics out there, right? They do drama, they do the performance, the audience isn't supposed to respond, and so they can lie to themselves about their performance. I've seen it at universities, I've seen it. I, right? But you, you, know, you know I'm right, right? People do drama a lot of the time, right? Some people do comedy because they don't have the confidence, so they deliberately make things stupid because, and, or the discipline, mm. so they make things stupid. Some people do drama specifically to avoid judgment because they can do whatever they want and the audience will is not meant to respond, right? They're silent, so they can lie to themselves. Um, and so, but it's that's what, it's like, so, you know, Mononoke, there's no, you don't cry, there's no big crying scene, there's no, there's no huge emotional scene in that sense, mm. there's no big belly laugh, but you have that sensation of aggression versus serenity, aggression versus serenity, aggression versus throughout the story, right? As things are happening, mm. and that is far more important than going. I hope he gets her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just a. It's a different. It's a different. Uh, it's more. See, my neighbor Totoro. And Kiki's Delivery Service, and in general, kids' stories in general, focus a lot more on emotion, just placating and maneuvering people's emotions. Kids are much easier, I guess, to maybe Mm. make that happen because they're not as jaded, they don't have the baggage, they don't have the mind going Mm. the same way. But Kiki's Delivery Service, when I joke like it's really not about anything, it kind of really isn't. (laughs) It's like, it's really, it's really not about that. It's just sort of a series of vignettes almost of this girl and it's just it's one of the most calming sweet things right and so um yeah so it's just it's one of those things like you know when you're breaking down your films and your stories and you're trying to learn controlling ideas and so on it's really really important but um uh as i pointed out uh when i started working with bob um and i and here as well emotion is the other half of that equation and um, people don't put a lot of emphasis on studying that part. And it is mechanical, almost. You can, not mechanical, mechanical, it's not programmable, but you, you, there are techniques, just as there are to get people to laugh, there are techniques to get people to feel aggression, mm. to feel happiness, to feel sadness, and so on. There's things you can do um, to so make it, it meaningful. So as important 
as it is to have your own controlling idea, yeah. it's also important to know what emotion you're trying to elicit from the audience. Yes. Yeah. yeah, or to, or to have dynamic emotions. Yeah. And to have them listed when you want them to, <laughs> right? Uh, we talk about this again. Uh, mystery writers get this. When do you want the audience intrigued? Versus yeah. when do you want them to know stuff, right? Mm. You have to know when, okay, I know they're asking a question now, so I can string them along, but how long until they get bored? So I need to put an answer in, or if you're watching Westworld, I'm going to bamboozle them, give you another series of questions that you go, what was going on? How did I forget about that clue five episodes ago? You sons are, ah, oh, that was good. <laughs> we did the whole thing on Westworld, right, about that, which was that they knew exactly what questions and how into those questions you were throughout the whole thing. Hmm. And that's why Westworld works so well, because just as you're asking a question, they bamboozle you with another thing, and they do it. Attack on Titan is another one. Hmm. Right? Attack on Titan knows exactly what you're feeling. Here's the um, the weekly call to... Watch season with, two. Watch season two. It's on Crunchyroll. It's on Crunchyroll, people. Um, uh, and it, see, we're going to talk about season two. It's awesome. Uh, but... Do you, do you see what I mean? So we talk yeah, about yeah, this yeah. all the time, but I talk about we talk about it in comedy, we talk about it in, uh, with the mystery stories. Well, there are certain and, genre, certain genres where audience emotion is it's far more yeah, obvious, right? Exactly, but and it, we talk about it in terms of like a central emotion that people are feeling. Yeah. But we uh, but what's interesting with Mononoke is that sense of well, if you kind of remove like dialogue because there isn't much of it right if you if you make the story simple the politics simple and you focus more and more on the emotions the emotions start to carry that weight of meaning yeah and so the dynamism between them like this is why Totoro and Kiki there's almost there's virtually no talking when you have a story that has very little talking or anything like that you can't have really big concepts there aren't big concepts in Mononoke, really. You know, we don't really know much about but humanity versus nature. No, I mean, b- 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 no, I mean abstract concept. Uh, not abstract. Uh, like, like, um, uh, the politics aren't like. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? It's not like House of Cards. Yeah. Right. House of Cards. Everyone's got ten different agendas, and right. It's not like Attack on Titan. Mm. How much do we know about the Attack on Titan world? within like two episodes versus how much we know about Mononoke. Mm. It's, it's not the same thing, you know? It's, it, so the focus becomes on the emotion and it does so much of the storytelling. And it's not, it's not an invalidation of controlling idea or anything like that. It's, it's simply pointing out it's the other half of the equation and this is someone who's sort of the balance, uh, you know, it's the balance is slightly more to that side than the other. Mm. But yeah. Okay. Is that good? I think that was good. Good? I don't think it was good. Oh no! Here we go. I think it was all right. <laughs> Princess Mononoke. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs>